How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again. All right, so continuing on our study of the Gospel of Mark, working our way through, we're up to chapter 14. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. If it's not related to the study at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast. We want to try to limit our rabbit trailing and whatnot. Alrighty, so going through with so many topics, so many things that we've covered, raises up so much more questions. Uh, so how do we answer them? How do we address all these things? And there's so many topics and angles and doctrines and different theologies and stuff that come up through all of this. How can we know what exactly is what? Uh, how to be able to determine uh, right teaching from wrong doctrine, from uh, misinterpreting passages, misunderstanding passages? How can we guard ourselves? Again, as we see, the clear interprets the unclear. We're going to keep hammering on that one. What does the Bible flat out say? And we, we covered this in many ways, and especially in Mark chapter 13. We saw examples of this regarding the end of days and all these kinds of things. We've seen this in our walkthroughs of the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? And salvation, what is it by? We, we cover many different things uh, all through this. And just by simple walkthrough, we take a look at what it says, and then we see how it's being said and how we can apply what we're reading with other aspects of the word of god cross-referencing scripture doing the word studies and then seeing how we can apply it to ourselves for why is this important for our own selves to go live it speak it think it do it so again make sure you copy these down make sure you uh, study the thing these things in this kind of method in the berean method of interpreting the word of god line upon line precept upon precept here a little there a little search the scriptures for therein you shall find salvation the clear interprets the unclear so what it says flat out what it says abundantly clearly what it says is what it means and then we take a look at um how we can study this properly when we when we uh, go across scripture all right so mark chapter 14 grab your bibles notepads and pens grab your tea grab your coffee we're going to be studying the word of god okay so mark chapter 14 now mark chapter 14 is a rather huge chapter 72 verses we'll see how far we get you never know we might do the whole thing we'll see how it goes it's one thing i absolutely hate this is it's a a pet peeve of mine and it's just it's just me i can't stand <laughs> time limiting the study of the word of god now i understand uh, some people just can't uh, they can't handle it for for such an awful long time i get that i understand that but still it's just it, i find it irritating when we have to cut short the, the the study because the clock says so 
this should this should uh, take precedence over everything. So it doesn't matter how long it takes. So we'll see. We'll see. We might get enough because again, we don't want to do go over too much because then the, if we cover so many topics and and points and whatever, those things can kind of get buried with a, an exceptionally long study. So we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Okay. Alrighty. Mark chapter 14. Again, uh, we see, uh, as it says in uh, chapter 14, ver verse 1, after two days. So after what? Well, again, we see in chapter 13, Jesus talking about the end of days in verse 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So he finishes up this whole discussion with his disciples regarding the end of days. And then we see in chapter 14, and two days later, so let's hope we can see. And two days later was the feast, uh, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. All right. These are the, the chief priests. These are the scribes. These are the Pharisees. These are the people that Jesus was telling off in chapter 13. We see him correcting them and see these are the people that he was discussing with and arguing with and showing them how they were wrong in all of this. And you do err not knowing the scriptures in the, in the past few chapters we see him uh, dealing with them and they're just getting angrier and angrier and angrier at, at Jesus. And you know just goes to show in, in in all apologetics, in all Bible study, in all uh, ministry work, this kind of thing, when you're dealing with individuals and it's becoming argumentative and you're discussing doctrine and theology and all this kind of stuff, um, people who are in error, who refuse to acknowledge that they are in error, uh, will generally go one of a couple ways. One, which often is the better outcome if they're not going to repent and uh, and correct themselves it's better they just be silent and walk away uh, but rarely does that ever happen but generally what happens in apologetics debates and all this kind of stuff people will just turn against you and start attacking your person i've mentioned this before they'll attack your person and name calling whatever else just saying you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong and they'll uh, but they don't bring up any actual sound argument because when you just use the bible they just keep reiterating their same nonsense no you're just wrong. you just don't understand it that <laughs> that is the go-to just knee-jerk reaction of people in error in cults and everything else um, when you try to show them, they say, oh, you just don't understand it. You just don't understand it. And they start saying you're ignorant, you, you're uneducated, something else. you just don't get it, you just don't understand it, all that kind of thing. Uh, and another outcome is where they get mad. They also can get mad and start attacking your person, name-calling you, deriding you, hating you, getting violent, malicious, that kind of thing. And that's what's happening here. As the scribes and chief priests have no sound argument, they have no doctrine. They they have nothing. They they 
uh, Jesus has proved them wrong to the nth degree. He's pulled the carpet out from under their feet and they have nothing. They have nowhere to hide. They have no argument. They have no ground to stand on. They have no foot to stand on. So we see they get so angry, they want to find a way to kill him. All they want to do is kill him. They sought how they might take Jesus by craft. What does that mean? Craftiness. Craftiness. So in, in a, some form of trickery, deceit, sneaky way to go around it, to find a way to trap him and trick him to kill him. That sounds like really good God-fearing individuals, doesn't it? But these are the religious leaders of Israel. It just really goes to, to show that much more when Jesus says, you, you are children of your father, the devil. It really shows. And you if you wonder about certain individuals, where they are with the Lord, are they true Christians? Are they true believers? You know, are they someone you should trust in? Just wait. Just watch. Watch. See, when Jesus says, watch and pray, it's not just in regards to, like, watching for his second coming, watching the signs of the times, but in everything. Watch and pray. Be aware. Be discerning. Pay attention. Listen to the words. Listen to the arguments. Watch the behavior. And as the scriptures say, wisdom is justified of her children. What does that mean? Time will tell. You will see. You will see where people actually stand. You will see. You will see where, where they stand. You will see what, what, what they actually believe. Their hand, they will tip their hand. What they're doing will be revealed. The word of God reveals all things. It reveals all things. Be sure your sin will find you out. So, they sought how they might take Jesus craftily to put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, though, as we see the Passover's coming up. They said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people, because the, the Passover is a special sacred thing, and if they go to do this kind of thing during the feast time, it, it will cause a lot of issues, a lot of problems. Uh, it will interrupt the, the Passover festival, and it, it needs to be held just to the Lord, and they don't want to bring this in as an issue. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Oh, they care so much about the people. They really care so much about the people. You know. Oh, man. Now, they, what they cared about was getting caught and getting in trouble. They couldn't care less about anyone else. They, they couldn't care less what other people think. They only cared about themselves and about bringing trouble upon themselves. That's what they feared. They feared the people bringing trouble upon them. All right, in verse 3, And being in Bethany, Jesus and his disciples, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spike nerd, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. All right, so this is the anointing of Jesus. Now, we take a look at who was this person. Was he John? If you have your Bibles there, please go over to the Gospel of John, the book of John. We want chapter 11, and we want verse 2. 
So John chapter 11, verse 1, And there came a, a man that was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his, her sister Martha. Verse 2, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus is sick. Okay. So we go back to Mark 14. So you see cross-referencing the, the scriptures explain themselves. It, it tells us. All right, so we see the woman, this is Mary, as in Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was that Mary, that Mary, that had the alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And as it says in another passage, a pound of spikenard. So that's a lot. That's a lot. And, and, uh, very, very costly, as it says, very precious. And it says another past, very costly. It cost a lot of money. This was something that she invested in, something that she spent a lot of money in, a lot of a, a lot of her, her savings. She saved up for this. This is something very special and precious to her. Uh, uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, potent, very, uh, uh, very high luxury item. It's the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's the good stuff. Very precious. And she break the box. She didn't just tap it and put a little bit out. No, she broke the whole thing. She gave the whole thing. She broke the box and poured it on his head. So it says, it says, and anointed his feet. So she poured it on his head. Now, in the custom of Israel, as we see in there's certain cultural customs and things we see uh, anointing with oil anointing with these things um uh, this is always seen as a very special uh, moment um we see an anointing with oil on the head and all this kind of thing in prayer as, a, as symbolizing blessing and this and this kind of thing that she's doing here is a very 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 special symbolic thing that she's doing and also on top of which we see to her, with her, this is a form of worship that she's doing with Jesus. Now, I should I should mention here that when you go over to the other Gospels and you take a look at this event, now for some reason, we're not sure why, in the Gospel of Mark, the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, but is mentioned in some of the other Gospels. N not all events are mentioned in all the Gospels. So some are mentioned in others, and that's why it's also important to do cross-reference, do the chronological studies, and it, it makes it really interesting in there to see how everything falls in. Now, prior to this, the anointing of Jesus by Mary, uh, we see Lazarus, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, and they called for Jesus, and Jesus waited a couple of days, and then Lazarus died, was buried, and then we see Jesus came, and Martha uh, met Jesus, and, you know, if, Master, if you had been here, my brother had not died, and then she went and told Mary, who was sitting in the house, and she was grieving, and then she ran, ran out, and, Master, if you had been here, my brother had not died, and Jesus says, uh, all those who believe in me shall never die, believest thou this? And she says, uh, Yea, Master, I believe that in the resurrection uh, that uh, he, will be, he will come again. He said, and uh, Jesus says, Fear not, and then show me where he is. And they go and they show him. And Jesus cries a loud voice after telling them to roll away the stone, cries a loud voice, Lazarus come forth, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He was in the grave for four days. Now, that's also important because 
it just goes to show it doesn't matter how long it is the Lord can use you in one of the passages in the Old Testament I always get them mixed up or is it Elisha I can't remember I think it was the bones of Elisha Elisha died they buried him and it, and it, after a while it was nothing but bones and you know how in, in Israel what they would reuse graves that they would put someone in for a while and after they uh, have decomposed it then they would uh, clear it out and use that tomb for someone else well they found this this grave and I guess they forgot who was in it they didn't know that the bones of Elisha were in there dried up and everything so they put a, a body in there and the Lord caused the bones of Elisha to fall on the corpse and the corpse came back to life. God could use our dry bones. So it doesn't matter who or what we are, what's going on. He could use our dry bones. Anyway, so he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus telling Mary and Martha, I am the life and all those who believe in me will never die, proving his divinity to them, teaching his divinity, teaching his power over life and death, and then proving it by raising Lazarus from the dead. Afterwards, Mary comes walking over to Jesus while they're in the house here. Mary comes walking over to Jesus just sobbing she's crying and she walks over to jesus and pours this ointment over him over his head and pours it on his feet washes his feet with her tears and kisses his feet and is weeping and crying and the tears are just streaming onto his feet and while she's wiping his feet with her hair because she has no towels, she's using her hair to wipe his feet. The smell of the ointment just filled the house. And there were tons of people outside looking in, and the smell went out even to the crowd. All people saw this whole thing, this, this moment of sweet worship of Jesus Christ. All right, now you got the background. She broke the box and poured it on his head. Mark 14, verse 4. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, anger, had anger in themselves, and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. There are so many things I could bring up in this one. Um, first thing first. salvation the faith is by grace through faith not of works not of righteous works not by works of the law for the saved our faith our worship of Christ is by faith through grace we walk by grace through faith we walk by faith not by works not by righteous works not by works of the law it does not matter what anyone else says it does not matter what anyone else thinks 
Well, that's not how you be a Christian. Oh, that's not how you're supposed to sing. That's not how you're supposed to worship the Lord. That, oh, you got to wear this. You got to do this. You got to go here. You got to be like this. This is how you got to attend church in this manner. No, you got. It does not matter what anyone else says. If you before the Lord are worshiping the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, by belief alone, ignore everyone else. Ignore. Ignore the Pharisees. Ignore the haters. Ignore other people. If they're going to be murmuring and, and griping about you worshiping the Lord, completely ignore them cold shoulder. Completely ignore them. People will always get their nose out of joint. There will always be the goats. There will always be those filled with indignation. There will always be the gripers. There will always be the belly acres. There will always be the trolls. There will always be those who will who, who will complain about what you're doing in some way, shape, or form. There will always be. The first thing you got to learn about being a Christian is you got to learn how to ignore the goats. They will always ram at you. They will always try to push you around. They will always try to tell you off. They will always seek to correct you by their feelings, their opinions, how they think through their denominational distinctives, how they think the Christian walk should be. Ignore them. And I do have to say one thing that I am so impressed with Mary here. Yes, what she did was absolutely impressive and beautiful and wonderful in her worship of Jesus Christ. But you know what? One of the absolute greatest things about Mary here that's that's recorded, where Jesus even says in verse 9, that wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. The, 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 the reason that this is recorded, one of the most amazing things here is that Mary said nothing in return to the haters. She could have piped up and said something. She could, she could have barked at them something. She could have quipped back. She could have said something, but she didn't. She said nothing. She worshipped Jesus Christ and ignored them. She worshipped Jesus Christ and she ignored them. Worship Jesus Christ and ignore the haters. Ignore the goats. Let's back up. Verse 4. And there were some that had indignation. All right. Let's go over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Okay. So, John chapter 12. All right, so this is the same account. This is a cross-reference in John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. That, that There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So there's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus' disciples, Jesus there, and tons of other people, and 
uh, we do see as if we back up we'll see that there's even a crowd of people around the house looking in because they want to see lazarus whom jesus raised from the dead all right so um verse 3 uh john chapter 12 verse 3 then took mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of jesus and we see another also anointed his head and wiped her his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment okay then there were some now another thing you need to take note uh for anybody who is a part of a church part of a church group uh other pastors preachers uh other people working in ministry of evangelism missionary work or whatever one thing you need to also pay close attention to whenever there is griping in a church griping in a group it always 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 starts with one person there's one person who gets a bee in their bonnet that gets their fur rubbed the wrong way that gets their nose out of joint and they start griping and complaining unto others and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and a little leaven leavens the whole lump and this griping and belly aching and this backbiting and this negativity will spread and spread and spread you need to you need to find out who the ringleader is people follow a crowd people follow the common thing and and especially misery loves company as uh, misery will seek to create company create friends of misery now where did this indignation this anger this bad attitude regarding mary's worship of jesus where did this originate from verse 4 then saith one of his disciples judas iscariot Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Okay, let's go back to Mark chapter 14. Look at, now look, look at Mark 14, verse 4. And there were some, plural, Judas's frustration, anger, negativity spread into some of the other people some of the other disciples and there were some and this created a bad attitude a bad outlook upon what's happening here now now just fyi your information here there's something to think about if what mary actually did was wrong in some way would Jesus have just sat there and accepted what Mary was doing? If in any way, shape, or form what she was doing is wrong, do you think Jesus would have let her do it? All right, so, so what's the first mistake? What's the first mistake of Judas and the, the gripers? Sounds like some kind of wacko uh, christian rock group judas and the grapers all right so we take a look here what uh, what's happening is they went by their feelings and opinions and they didn't check with the lord they didn't check the word of god 
the word which is God, which became flesh and dwelt among them. They didn't ask the Lord. They didn't check with the Lord. They just went by their feelings of their, their ideas of what they thought. Look what it says. Verse, and there were some that had indignation within themselves. It came, it, that it came up from inside that uh, a frustration of their own thoughts, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own ideas against what was happening to Jesus, not paying attention to Jesus. They weren't paying any attention to Jesus. They didn't say, Master, what is she doing? Or what's going on here? They didn't even ask. Just like Adam and Eve. They didn't check with the Lord first. They didn't check with the Lord first. But the serpent who beguiled Eve, and she didn't even check with the Lord. Now, Judas Iscariot. Let's take a look at him just for a moment. There are some people who wonder about Judas Iscariot. Was Judas Iscariot saved? Was Judas Iscariot a saved man? Well, he was a disciple. Well, that doesn't mean anything. He followed as one of the apostles, one of those that followed Christ and learned of Jesus Christ. That doesn't really mean anything. What makes one a saved individual, a born-again individual? Faith. Not titles, not terminologies, not knowledge of doctrines or knowledge of Christ and knowledge of others. Because Judas Scary had a lot of knowledge of Christ. He saw everything that Jesus did, heard everything that Jesus did. He sat at Jesus' feet and he walked with Christ for three years during the, the, the life of the ministry of Jesus. He was with the, he saw, heard everything. He was there. But we got a bit of a problem. Because when we take a look at the works of Judas, the fruit of Judas, and we also compare scripture to scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, you see a lot of people say that Judas was saved and he lost his salvation. Well, that's just stupid because you can't lose your salvation. He can't be taken away or recanted. It, well, well, you know, they try to go all kinds of other arguments and maybe he was and, and this happened and that happened or no. What does the Bible actually say about Judas? See, this is a question I've actually got quite often about Judas Iscariot on um, was he saved or not? So I looked this up and after cross-referencing scripture line upon line, we could see with an absolute certainty. No questions, no shadow of a doubt, absolute certainty, Judas Iscariot never got saved. Never got saved. And this is where the, the, the saying, so close to the cross, but so far from the blood, comes in. He was at the feet of Jesus. But that's all, that's all he was, at the feet of Jesus, but he was never in his book. Jesus said... And I'm cheating here, but there's one thing that Jesus said about the one that should betray him, referring to Judas Iscariot. Jesus says it were better for him had he never been born. Would Jesus have said that about an individual who was saved? 
Would Jesus have said that if, if Judas was saved? No. No. We also see that Judas Iscariot was also called by Jesus son of perdition. Meaning, son of condemnation. A child of damnation. Meaning, not saved, but a child of the devil, an heir of hell. He's going to hell. It also says at the Last Supper, though as they were sitting around the table, it says that Satan entered him. He got literally demonically possessed by Lucifer himself. All right, now, now we get into a bit of a controversial question is, can Christians, can true born-again Christians, sealed and dwelt by the Spirit of the living God, children of God, servants of Christ, can true born-again Christians be demonically possessed? No. You can be oppressed, but you cannot be possessed. And if you disagree with me, I got tons of information on that one to prove that born-again Christians cannot be demonically possessed. But Satan entered him. Showing he had no protection from God because true believers cannot be possessed. Also in the early church, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see as... Uh, uh, they, the disciples are trying to figure out what to do because the place of Judas Iscariot was now empty. There was a vacancy and they need to fill that spot. So, And they, they said something rather interesting in Acts chapter 1 verses 24 to 26. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two that thou hast chosen they may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Going to his own place, denoting his place in damnation because he, was, he, because he was not a part of salvation. He did not go to rest in Christ as he was apart from God and the truth. Also, scripture teaches in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, the word commit in that passage, the word commit means to live in unrepentantly. To live in unrepentantly. Now, that's important. Because Judas, as we see, as the scripture says, Judas was a thief. Judas was a thief. He was a thief. He was a liar. And also, as we see here, he got angry at Jesus because Jesus told him off. Jesus told him off. He got angry with Jesus and went and, and blabbermouthed to the scribes and all of them and complained and then took a deal to betray Jesus. He shows showing he has no conviction of sin. All right? No conviction of sin. And he was a thief. He was denoted as 
All right, let's back up. Mark chapter 14, verse 4. Now there were some, because of Judas Iscariot, complaining and griping and spreading the bad attitude. There were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Waste? Wait a minute. Waste? It was made waste? It was a waste? So, giving something to Jesus is a waste? You, you hear it? You hear it? You, you hear what you hear what the implication is? Do you hear the words the uh, of all of what that implies uh, of what he's getting at? Why was this waste of the ointment made? What did she do with the ointment? She gave it to Jesus, anointed his head and his feet in a form of worship. Giving of her own substance in worshiping of the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And Judas calls it a waste. What does that imply of Judas's outlook upon Jesus Christ himself as a person? Judas did not see Jesus as someone that was truly, truly important. He did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew what Jesus said. He knew what he could do. He knew what he had done and all this, but he didn't care. A disrespect. He's disrespecting Jesus. He's disrespecting Mary. He's disrespecting the moment of worship. He's spreading bad attitude through the disciples. As the Bible says, one of the things that God hates are those that sow discord amongst the brethren. Judas is sowing discord amongst the brethren, showing that it, by his behavior unto others, it's not, a, it's not a big deal to complain about worship of Jesus Christ and to dis jesus in front of others and to diss those that worship jesus in front of others you see this what did judas care about he didn't care about mary he didn't care about jesus he didn't care about the disciples he didn't care about the people he didn't even care what people thought of him he didn't even care about other other people were watching him he didn't care what they thought of him because all he cared about verse 5 because what he says, for it might have been sold, the ointment might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. All right, now just, let's take a look at this for just for a moment. Now, back in, um, the during the Bible times here, now, their currency, not quite like our currency, but we see some words and some of the things we see. Back in that time, a full day's wage was, in some parts, a penny. One penny was a day's wage in certain parts. Now, we see, as he says, this could have been sold for 300 pence. Now, that roughly equals out to about close to $45. Now, back then, that was a fortune if a penny is a day's wage. So think about that one just for a moment. 
that's a lot of money that is uh that is just a true haul of treasure that's a lot of money so this 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 thing was an absolute fortune and judas iscariot was a thief only cared about money because he carried the bag with the disciples and so because he would steal out of the bag he would steal money for himself and he saw such an opportunity here of, of making a fortune for himself as a thief but it was all given to jesus and that made him angry it might have been sold for for more than 300 pence and they have and, and, and have given to the poor he's a liar he's a liar and a thief he's a liar and a thief it, he didn't care about the poor he just threw that out there to, to to try to get attention off of what he's saying what he's doing and try to make it oh we care so much about the poor no you care about your own pocket lining that's all you care about but jesus as you see in other passages knew their thoughts he knew what was going on he knew who judas was he knew who Judas was. He knew what Judas was, was saying. He knew what, what was going on. Now, the other thing about this, too, is people ask a question, well, if Jesus knew that Judas was a thief and all of this, then why did he choose him at, to follow him as one of his disciples? Okay, let's, let's address this one. There are people who say, well, he was predestined. No. No. You're misusing that the doctrine of predestination because that's not what it teaches you are not predestined to hell there isn't one single person who is ever born who is predestined to hell that's not a thing because that goes against the word of god and contradicts scripture because it says that god is not willing that any should perish if even one person is predestined to hell god is willing that some should perish and we have a massive contra uh, contradiction in the word of god so we see rather, as we go back and take a look at the prophecies of what the Christ Messiah would come to do. What was the point of the Christ Messiah? What was he coming for? As, as Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, for this purpose am I come. He came for what purpose? To, to be the atonement of our sins. This had to happen. This is what the Lord promised by his prophecies that this is what he would come to do, to be the, the lamb of sacrifice for our sins. So there needed to be someone who would fill this position of the betrayer to bring in the enactment of the crucifixion and all of this. Judas Iscariot was a willing participant. It's not that he was created by God for this position, predestined to go to hell. No, that's not a thing. That's stupid. That's false doctrine. Rather, it was Judas was a willing participant. Did God want Judas to go to hell? No. Was Judas told multiple, 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 multiple times sermons and teachings and messages and parables on repentance and belief, repentance and belief. Yes, he was told. Could Judas Iscariot have gotten saved if he had a repentant and belief? Yes, absolutely. But he didn't want to. He hardened his heart against the Lord. He hardened his heart against the Lord, rejected the messages. He stayed in his sin because he loved darkness rather than light. 
Judas was a willing participant. He was not ordained of God as a thief to betray the Lord to go to hell. That's not a thing, and there are people that teach that they're wrong. That Calvinistic doctrine of people being elected to hell, predestined to hell, is a false doctrine, is a heretical false doctrine. It makes God a liar, and it rips up the Bible and fills, fills the Bible with tons of contradictions. So Judas Iscariot was a thief of his own will. Otherwise, you also have a bit of a problem because if Judas was predestined by God for this, then God is the originator of sin. God created theft. God is the creator of lying. He's the creator of sin. And that we have no free will. That makes God the sinner. And that why am I going to hell for something he made me? God made me a thief and a liar. God made me the betrayer. God made me. You see a bit of a problem with that? You take away ownership from the person, you put it on God, God then is the originator of sin. That's what Calvinism does. All right, let's take a look at verse 5. Where it might have been sold for more than 300 pence, because that's all that Judas cared about was the money. But we see the Lord's response is not so much on this, because Judas, while well, he's speaking in absolute ignorance. Because in this, you see that the unsaved see what we are doing as absolute foolishness think about it the unsaved world looks at born-again christians like we're nothing but raging morons wasting our money by giving our money to the church and giving our lives to the lord and and deliberately restricting ourselves and not wanting to take uh, take place and uh, take part in the pleasures of this world they think that we're a bunch of idiots that's how Judas is seeing Mary and Jesus and everyone else right now. It's just, it's, this is all idiocy. The world cannot understand the worship of God. And as you see in Scripture, it says that the, that the things of the Spirit are understood by the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're not going to understand the Word of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you're not going to understand worship of God. It's going to make no sense to you. And this made no sense to Judas, which is yet another proof that he wasn't saved. But rather, we see Jesus doesn't address Judas's ignorance, but rather he addresses something else here. Look, he says something as an instruction to the rest of his disciples who were saved, who were being influenced by Judas Iscariot. Verse 6. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. What was she doing? Worshipping Jesus Christ and anointing him and worshipping him, kissing his feet, blessing him, praising him, honoring and glorifying him. All right, so what do we see happening in verse 6? Remember what I said earlier about ignore the goats, ignore the rats, ignore the wolves, ignore these people. Ignore all those that don't understand. Do not try to interpret things by your own interpretation, by your own mind, of your own feelings and opinions, but rather what do we see happening? 
What do we see happening? Verse 6. Jesus says, see, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what anyone says. It matters what the Lord says. Leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. The word of God, which became flesh and dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus Christ says, the word of God says, the scriptures say, it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what the word of God says. You don't like what I'm doing? Well, God says in his word this. You don't think that's a a big deal? God's word says this. Your personal interpretation, your feelings, your opinions, your doctrines, your personal teachings, your dreams, your visions say that? Well, the word of God says this. Which takes superiority? The Lord Jesus. Christ's words, God's words, the word of God. The word of God says that when someone is worshiping the Lord, leave them alone. God's word says when someone is serving the Lord out of a pure heart fervently, leave them alone. Do not trouble them. Do not trouble them. Leave her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. So, unless the thing that they are doing in their ideas of worship, their ideas of serving the Lord, unless what they are doing actually by the word of God, not denominational distinctive, but by the word of God, if the word of God flat out actually says that such and such a thing is wrong as sin or incorrect, if it doesn't say that, then leave them alone. There is correction of sin because we don't want to allow a person to continue in a in a sinful form or a sinful way we want to correct them in meekness and grace and and, in proper attitude so that they would want to serve the lord more accurately more more properly more correctly but if what a person is doing is not in and of itself in any way shape or form sin wrong or whatever then the word of god says leave them alone don't 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 correct their worship their their praising their singing their service of the lord or whatever all because you personally don't like what they are doing your feelings are irrelevant so the lord jesus says she hath wrought a good work on me good works God establishes what are good works. We don't establish what are good works. We're not the fruit inspectors, you see. Christ is. And all the Pharisees and legalists just fainted. We see here that we're not the fruit inspectors. The word of God is. Not my interpretation of it, what it flat out says. Not my feelings of a thing, what it flat out says. Right? Leave her alone. She, uh, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. I absolutely love that phrase right there. Verse 8. If you're into underlining, highlighting, marking your Bible... Please do so with the first bit of verse 8. She hath done what she could. She did what she could. You did what you could. I do what I can do. 
And sometimes we feel that we haven't done enough or we're not doing enough or we're not good enough. Please explain to me, what is enough? When have we done enough? When have you done enough? We did what we could. We do what we can with what we have. She did what she could with what she had. She wasn't a high intellectual. She wasn't a high learned, educated one. She she wasn't of high class or whatever. She didn't have a ton of money. She saved up for this one thing. And, and the, the one thing that she could do to show her love of Jesus Christ, to show her worship, she gave that thing that was that was precious to her. She gave it to him. And he blessed her. Other people saw that as silly, pointless, useless. Why are you even doing that? But to her, it was so meaningful. And that's what the Lord cares about, is the attitude of the heart. She poured out her heart in worship of him. She poured out her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissed his feet, and anointed him with perfume. That's all that she could do. That's all that she could do. She couldn't go out and speak and do things. She was a nobody. No one would listen to her. But she could worship Jesus. She could not care what other people thought. And she could worship Jesus even publicly. She could worship Jesus publicly. That's all she could do. She didn't know the arguments. She didn't know what to say. She she didn't even respond to Judas. But rather she worshipped the Lord Jesus and God defended her. God defended her. God told them to shut up. Leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? Look what she's doing. And look what the Lord even says in defense of her. She had done what she could. She has come uh, aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. He even knew why she was doing this. Because why? She understood and realized who Jesus truly is. The Son of God. God the Son who has come as the Christ Messiah to save us from our sins. She understood and it made sense. She saw what he came to do. For his burying. She knew that he was going to be crucified and buried and rise again. And she's doing this for him because of who he is. In verse 9, he even goes one step further. And such a great blessing of her for what she's doing. In their face of them griping. Look what the Lord says. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel what gospel the good news of jesus christ jesus even calls it the gospel the of my life where where wheresoever the story of my life the good news of who i am my life and my work shall be preached throughout the whole world this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for memorial of her That what her service, her little act, her this little thing that she did, that to her it wasn't little, it was great, but in the and other things we see is what she did is memorialized in the word of God for all eternity. This this act of her, this act, simple, simple, simple act of worship is recorded in the word of God for all eternity.
it's written in the in the books in heaven and it is established for, for the rest of time by a million billion years from now this is this will still be recorded god remembers god knows god takes note and it doesn't matter that other people don't agree other people don't like it if other people think it's silly it doesn't matter if in your heart of hearts you're doing this for the lord to the lord to honor and glorify the lord it doesn't matter what other people think god sees it as a beautiful thing even no matter how simple it is no matter who you are you're all alone man or woman boy or girl doesn't matter who you are where you are if you want to serve the lord the lord sees it the lord takes note even if no one else does even if all of your preaching all of your witnessing all of your evangelizing no one listens the lord listened the lord took note and it went up before him as a beautiful smell of uh, of fragrance that smell of thanksgiving and praise and worship went up into the nostrils of god and he loved it the angels of heaven are standing around saying amen to your service and worship of the lord even when everyone else is griping ignore the wolves ignore the rats ignore the goats praise the lord and ignore the trolls ignore the haters pay no attention to those that would gripe about other people's worship of the lord jesus christ now jesus tells off judas iscariot tells off the disciples corrects them all now what does the bible say about those who are who are saved and and when they are corrected what will happen a person who is saved and is listening to the spirit of god a person who is saved and loves the lord jesus christ a person who is saved and cares about the word of god the spirit of god will convict you the spirit of god will correct you and you will listen but those who have not the spirit of God and those who those who are walking against the Lord and against his word, what will happen to them? They will get offended. They will get angry and they will walk away. They will throw a temper tantrum and and they and they will just make a mockery of it and they'll go and cause trouble. Verse 10, Mark 14, verse 10, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, Jesus told him off. He got his nose out of joint on that. He got all offended and all angry and in a, in a tizzy and in a, in a childlike tantrum. And he stomped off all the way to the, to the Pharisees. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. <laughs> it's what can you say to that what can you say to that no conviction of sin doesn't care about the lord doesn't care about anything only cares about himself and how dare you tell me that who do you think you are you've heard all of that do you know who i am that whole thing he is so filled with pride and arrogance of himself that how dare you tell me what to do how dare you correct me you know what I'm gonna go and, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this to others and you're gonna get in trouble. 
You see, you see where that goes. There's like a lot of people today. You try to correct them by the word of God, they just get angry and storm off and try to cause trouble. Uh, purely says, uh, defends self over scripture. Yep. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad. When the scribes, all of them, heard this, and they saw this, they were glad. They were glad and promised to give him money. You, you know what immediately comes up in my mind when I when I read that part right there? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4, what was the promise of Lucifer? If you bow to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. He will give you your heart's desire. He will give you whatever you want. What did Judas Iscariot want? Money. What did he bow to? demonic doctrine he bowed to himself he bowed to his pride he bowed to sin he bowed to disobedience against god he bowed to opposing god he bowed to betraying jesus fighting against jesus he bowed to being in fellowship with people that wanted to murder jesus he bowed to the ways of the children of the devil what did what did lucifer do rewarded him you bow to sin, the devil will reward you. They were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Oh, it's so convenient. So he went and, and made this secret pact with them and then went back and hung out with the disciples and followed Jesus like there was nothing wrong. To the rest of the disciples, it would have looked like maybe, I'm just spitballing here, that Judas threw it, got all upset, and went off for a bit, and then came back. They thought maybe he just went to cool down, and now he's, he's fine. That to the other disciples, that's what it may have looked like. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? Where, where should we go and have the Passover feast? What, what place should we go? What should we do, Lord? Verse 13, and Jesus sends, sends two of his disciples and says to them, Go ye into the city, and there shall, ye, shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. Just like when Jesus told his disciples to go into the city and you will see, you will see the colt here tied here. And then people will ask you this question, say this to them, and then bring it to me. For, uh, foretelling of exactly what's going to happen. So right here we see yet another proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ knowing exactly what's going to happen before it happens. Now, what was the significance here about a man bearing a pitcher of water? Well, because you don't see that, that very often because it was kind of a woman's thing that they did. And so this guy carrying a pitcher of water would have stood out a bit more. And there came a, uh, there'll be a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say, uh, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Many houses 
um, in those places would have a guest chamber, a special place for guests where they could have meals or they could stay overnight. They have a guest guest chamber. A lot of places had this. Also in the cities, because a lot of other Jews would come specifically to uh, Jerusalem for these feasts, so they uh, so a lot of extra rooms and places are made for people coming into the city. Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. And the disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, just like Jesus said. How did Jesus know this? He's God. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, with the twelve. So Judas is with them again. And as he's as and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily, which means truly, verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Now, why didn't Jesus out Judas right there in front of them all. Well, that wasn't how it was going to go down. As uh, this had to happen. But Jesus saying this now, could you imagine? Just use your sanctified imagination just for a moment. You're one of the disciples of Jesus. You're sitting at the table having the Passover dinner with Jesus. You love him. You follow him. You've been serving him, working with him for the past three years. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, you've seen how Jesus knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. You see, you know who he is. You believe in him. And verse 19, and they began to be sorrowful and say to one another, one by one, is it I? Another, is it I? Is it I? Is it me? Is it me? Could you imagine how scared you would be? Like, like, well, is it going to be me? Am I going to wind up doing this? Peter, do you know? Is, is it me or is it you? And, And they began to be sorrowful that could grieve the very sad, very downcast, very depressed at this because no one knows who it's going to be. And Jesus answers and says, it is one of the twelve. It's one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, um, customary food types, so they would have the flatbreads and they would have the 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 spices and all the stuff, uh, the herbs, they would have a, a, a bowl of sauce. Then you take some, some, some of the flatbread, you take some of the herbs, put it on the flatbread, and you scoop it in the sauce, and then you eat it. Uh, one of you that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, as it is written, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were, good were it for that man if he had never been born. Now, as we see in Scripture, when you compare the Gospels together, we see in another passage where Jesus says, "One of you that dip, it's one of you that dips with me in the dish. 
it, it is the one to whom I give the sop. And that's called a sop, where you take the flatbread and the herbs, and you dip it in the thing, and you eat it. But Jesus is one of you that I give, I give the sop. Now, he took, Jesus then took a piece of flatbread, took some herbs, put it on it, and, and dipped it in the sauce, and handed it to Judas Iscariot. Now, the thing is that the rest of the disciples are so caught up in the moment that they weren't paying attention. They didn't really catch that part. That Jesus actually pointed Judas out to the group. But they weren't paying attention. They were so focused on themselves, they weren't paying attention. This is the theme. This is the theme that we are seeing in this chapter. So focused on self, they're not focused on Christ and what he's doing. They're not focused on his man on his mannerisms. They're not focused on what he's saying, what he's thinking, what he's showing. They're not focusing on the Lord. They're only focusing on themselves. And as they did eat, verse 22, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it. And Jesus initiates something that is so powerful, so monumental, that a lot of so-called professed Christians don't understand this. The changing of dispensation. The dispensational change. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, if you're a crazy Catholic or a deluded Orthodox or along those lines, you're not really going to understand this passage. But rather, you're going to be thinking, according to those cult denominational distinctives, that Jesus is being completely literal. That you have to literally cannibalize the body of Jesus. Um, was Jesus cutting off parts of his flesh and giving it to the disciples? No, that's stupid. But that's the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is the Catholic delusion where they believe that the, the, the wine and the bread literally turn into the actual blood and flesh of Jesus. And if you do not actually drink his literal blood and eat his literal flesh, then your sins are forgiven. The Orthodox, depending on the sect, there are some that believe in the actual uh, the actual presence, and then there are some that believe in what's called the um, spiritual presence, or something along those lines, where they believe it, that there's the presence of, but it's not literally actually. So the Catholics believe in the literal actually, and then there are some in Orthodox and some in Anglican, certain of those where they believe in the real presence of what it's called, where the presence of, uh, of the flesh and blood of Jesus are in these elements, but they're not actually really. No, but what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible actually teach on this? Well, you combine this right here of this back in John chapter 6, or Jesus is telling them, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
And this is where the Catholics and the Orthodox and all of them take that and then they just lose their minds because they don't understand scriptures because they have not the spirit of God. Jesus says, my words are life. My words are life. They, they are, they are, uh, John 6, 63. I can't remember the words. I got to read it. John 6, 63. Uh, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They are life. The words, the words, you believe what I'm saying you, then you are saved. So, okay, we take a look at this then, combine this, okay, uh, with what Jesus did. He gave his body, he gave his blood, how? As a sacrifice. How then, okay, how then, how do I then, as Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, how do I, if it's words and not the actual literal cannibalization of Jesus? How does this work? Because I want to have life in me. So how do I take the flesh and blood of Jesus into me? How does this happen? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the blood of Jesus Christ and, and the giving of his body for my salvation, his death and blood for me? How do I get that to be in here? How do I do that? Believe. And his blood anoints your soul. The work of his body, of his death, burial, resurrection is imputed upon me by faith. By faith, which is believing trust. Believing trust. Okay, so it's by grace through faith alone and not of works, not of righteous works, not by works of the law, not by water baptism, not by charities or confessionals, not by priests and cardinals, popes and prophets and kings, but by the Son of God, what he's done, that all that I must do is believe. My sins are forgiven by belief alone. Acts 10.43, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. Ephesians 1.7, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. John 3.16-18, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. Acts 16.30-31, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. Ephesians 2.8-9, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. Titus 3.5, my sins are forgiven by belief alone. Galatians, the whole book of Galatians. Exactly, exactly. Exactly, purely. He is the bread of life. He it when I eat of what he is saying. There it is. My words are spirit. They are life. It is the spirit that quickens. It's the spirit that brings alive. You must be born again. Or if you be not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. How am I born again? Believe. Believe. My words are spirit. I believe on what he said. And I, I eat his words. I eat his words. I pay attention to his words. Jesus says, I am the Christ. Yes, Lord, I believe. I am the, the Lamb of God. Yes, Lord, I believe. Do you see what I'm doing that I've come for this? If you believe in me, you shall never die. Believest thou this? I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, Lord, I believe. Saved. Saved. He is the bread of life take eat this is my body then okay so what is jesus then 
getting at when he's saying this? It's symbolic. Symbolic. Okay, let's take a look. And as it did eat, Jesus took bread. That's Mark 14, verse 22. Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and, and they all drank of it. And he said it to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which means new covenant. The new covenant. So the old covenant is done. This is the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, the New Testament which is shed for many. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. How is sin taken away? By shedding of blood, not water. All right, so hold your finger here. Okay, hold your finger here. And let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see the Apostle Paul is also accounting this now well paul wasn't there with them in the upper room so how would paul know this you you know that if you read the bible you'll see that uh when apostle uh, when saul of tarsus got saved on the road to damascus he went in and was uh he stayed there at damascus and he was taught by christ for three years in the deserts of arabia outside of damascus and he, and christ taught him everything that he taught his disciples so Paul got the same teaching of all the same things that the rest of the disciples did. And then uh, Paul was then taken by, was it Barnabas? Who took him to the uh, Apostolic Council of Jerusalem and uh, presented him before the apostles. And, and he was then accepted into the apostleship because he has the same teaching of the same Lord, the same Jesus, of the same things that they were. All right. So with this is the same teaching of the new covenant as Jesus taught it. The same teaching of... The, about the what Jesus taught about the bread and the wine. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Let's take a look here. Took bread. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Look what he says. Look what he says. This do, why? So your sins can be forgiven. No. This do, why? So you can go to heaven. No, no. This do in remembrance. This do in remembrance. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, your sins are forgiven, you'll go to heaven. No, no, it's not what it says. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show. It's a show of remembrance. It's symbolic. It's a symbol. Like baptism is a symbol. Like oil and prayer is a symbol. So this is symbolic. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. There you go. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. So we see that the whole communion 
thing that we do is a, is entirely a symbolic gesture. Uh, it's a sacred thing. It's special because it's taught by Christ and, and told by uh, from Christ for us to do hold this to do this in remembrance of Him to as a way to commemorate, remember, symbolize, honor what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. To remember, this is why he came. He came for this, and this is what he did. And this is what I have believed in. This is what I have accepted. This is this is what I believe in of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. So in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given uh, thanks. He gave it to them, and they, they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many okay my blood which is shed for many all right let's take a look here the world doesn't understand this doesn't understand the change of covenant the change of dispensation nor does it care we see many people trying to hold on to the old covenant as a means of honoring the Lord, or we see it's the new covenant that we are under. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ, because we see what is what is the old covenant by? What's the old covenant under? What is it by? What's it through? A covenant of what? Covenant of what? Well, the covenant of Abraham. Nope. Covenant of Moses. Nope. What do you mean it's not the covenant of Moses? It's not. What was the covenant of? The covenant of what? The covenant for what? The covenant of what? Blood. The covenant of blood that was established with Adam and Eve and their children. The covenant that Cain corrupted and that God rejected, but Abel's that he accepted. The covenant of what? The shedding of the blood of the lamb. For what? Sin. It's about sin, folks. It's about sin. Sin is dealt with by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The old covenant was through the blood of the shedding of the blood of a lamb. Behold the lamb of God. My blood, Jesus says now, my blood replaces the old blood, the old ways. The new way replaces the old way. The old lamb, the new lamb. The lamb of God, which shall take away the sin of the world. That, that no longer needs a continual sacrifice, but is a one-time sacrifice for sin. There doesn't need to be a continual. And this is where the Catholics and Orthodox and all them get it all wrong because they continually re-crucify, continually re-shed, and they look at look at this as a continuous process of trying to earn it. That's what that's what the crucifix stands for. The continual work of a continual atonement as a means to earn it through good works, earn it by continually repenting. It's a one-time sacrifice. It's a one-time shedding of blood. That's why the born-again Christian's uh, symbol is, uh, is the empty cross. It's the empty cross. Because he, he, he did die, he was buried, and he rose again. He doesn't need to continually atone. It was the one-time atonement for sin. This is my blood of the new covenant, of the new testament, which is shed for many. 
John 6, 63. It's the spirit that quickeneth. My words are, are life. My words are spirit. They are life. We believe in what he has said. We accept what he's saying as true. We accept who he, uh, what he's saying about himself. We accept what he's come to do and we are saved. We believe. Salvation by belief alone. Verily I said to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Speaking that uh, this is the last time I'm going to eat and drink of this with you. And the next time we do, we're going we're gonna to be in glory. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We will all, all sit with our Lord Jesus and have the remembrance table one more time. One last time. Can you imagine that? That's a big table. There's going to be a lot of saints there. All the people, all the people that have ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that, that have believed on the Lord all the way down through even into the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the saved that have ever been, all men, women, and children around the world that have ever believed on the Lord are going to be there and are going to be sitting down and we're all going to have the remembrance table with Jesus himself one last time. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be absolutely awesome. So how do we deal? How do we deal with doubts and fears of these things? Because there's so much confusion out there of differing beliefs and uh, differing doctrines and views and stuff on these kinds of things regarding the blood of Christ and salvation and all this stuff. How do we deal with fear and doubt and oppression and all this stuff? By praising the Lord of who he is. How to deal with oppression. You praise the Lord, for, the Lord for who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. You praise him. You call upon him. You call out his name, his blood, his spirit, his word, what he said. We don't wallow in self. We don't, we, we don't look at ourselves. We don't look at what's happening. We look at him for who he is and what he's done. His blood, his body, his cross, his faith, his spirit, who I am in him as who he is to me. He's my king, my savior, my redeemer. Start praising the Lord. This is what it's about. This is how we handle it. We focus on the blood of Jesus Christ, which, which uh, forgives us all our sin. We look at the body of Jesus Christ that was given and broken for us as the Lamb of God, which is sacrificed for us. Call upon him for who he is. Praise him like Mary. Like Mary. You fall at his feet. You wash his feet with your tears. You honor and praise and worship him. And the devils run, the doubts run, the oppression runs, the heaviness runs, and we start praising the Lord out of a pure heart fervently. That's how we do it. This is what the Lord has shown us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you. Great is the Spirit of Christ. Great is the blood of Jesus Christ. Great is the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above all names. At whose name every knee will bow. And every tongue shall, shall swear. At whose name every knee will bow. Just like Mary. We bow to the name of Jesus Christ. We bow to him because we bow to no, none other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ so high and holy and sacred. Even the devils tremble at his name. Their knees shake. And knock at his name. And we speak in belief, in faith, and power of his name, the devils run. When we call upon his name, 
sin is forgiven souls are set free we see we see chains are broken the gates of hell are shattered and we see we see sinners children of the devil are turned into saints and children of god it doesn't matter who you are what you are what's going on it's by the lord jesus christ himself and what he's done this covenant is through the blood of jesus christ and not through water in the blood of jesus christ not through works it's the blood of jesus christ not through religious works it's through the blood of jesus christ not through law keeping it's not through anything i could do anything i could bring it's not through me it's not through my righteousness because i have none it's through his righteousness and his righteousness alone it's his body his blood of the new covenant not mine how can i bring anything to the table of my salvation when jesus himself flat out says right here it's through his body his blood alone is what the new covenant is through so how could i bring anything additional works righteous works baptism uh, law keeping commandment keeping charity whatever else how could i possibly bring anything else to this jesus says the new covenant the new testament is through his blood his body that's it so what's left for me What's left for me? What's left that I have to do? What must I do to be saved? You tell me. You tell me in the comments. What must I do to be saved then? Since it's his body, his blood that the new covenant's through, what then do I bring? What then is left for me? Believe. Believe. Exactly, Natalie. Believe. Believe. We can't bring anything. That's right. That's right. So Natalie, you say you're saying you're asking for prayer because you feel you're you're being heavily attacked and in oppression and all this. What what happens? What starts to happen? You start praising the Lord Jesus Christ. You start confessing the faith. You start calling on the Lord. When you start remembering what the Lord has said, what happens? The heart calms. The the mind clears. And we see we we are found sitting and clothed in our right minds before the Lord. He is the God of peace, the God of calmness. He's the God of righteousness, the God of joy. He brings the oil of gladness upon the hearts and souls, on the, on the minds of those that trust in him. And trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Look what the Lord says. My blood, my body. I'm the Christ, Jesus says. I'm the Messiah, Jesus says. I am God, Jesus says. I am the I am, Jesus says. This is my blood. So this cup is a representation. A symbolic representation. That's what it is. And so, this is my blood of the New Testament the new covenant which is shed for many which is shed for who which is shed for who because there are some people out there that believe that jesus when he died on the cross when they pierced his hands and his feet that when they when they flogged him and, and they tore him to pieces that when jesus shed his blood that jesus did not shed his blood for the world but rather, he only shed his blood for a specific select chosen elect. All right. Now, let's take a look at this one. 
Because the blood of the covenant, the blood of the New Testament by Jesus Christ, what does the Bible say? Well, when we take a look at the actual specific words and the meanings of those words, we go back, look at the Hebrew and the Greek of the of those words, like the word world, whosoever, any, all. What do those words mean? Those words are those words like for God so loved the world. Let's take the word world because well, that's the world of the elect. Okay. That word world, we look in the Koine Greek, what does that word world mean? What's the actual definition of that word in that context? What does that mean? Earth. World as is what is known, planet Earth, everyone in it. Word all means all. They are not, these words are not specific, limited exclusives, but are rather general all inclusives general all inclusives because we go over to first john chapter 2. let's take a look at first john chapter 2 verse 2 first john 2 2. first john 2 2 and he jesus and he is the propitiation which means atonement and he is the atonement and he is the atonement, propitiation for our sins, those that are saved, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And all the Calvinists just fainted. But also for the sins of the whole world. World means, what is the, what's the actual meaning of the word world in 1 John 2, 2? What is the meaning of the word? It's a general, all-inclusive. It is not a limited specific. Well, it's for the sins of the whole world. Meaning, he made the way of salvation for literally everyone. So are you saying that Jesus died and atoned for everybody so everyone is saved? No. No. Rather, but that he opened the way so that anyone could. Because why? Is it First John 3, 9? Because God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. But God commends all men everywhere to repent. Well, that's, God is not willing of any of the elect to perish. No, that's not what it says. It, the word any means general, all-inclusive. It's any any of the world, any anyone. God is not willing that anyone should go to hell. That's what it says. When you study your Bible and your Bible alone, you stop listening to the stupid false doctrines of corrupted men and just look at what the Bible flat out says. You see that the, the atonement of Jesus Christ is not limited. The limited atonement doctrine of hyper-Calvinism is absolute heresy. Absolute blasphemous heresy. So let's go back to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. All right. Hey, let's take a look. And we're down to verse 26. And when they had sung in him, and when they had sung in him, uh, yes, Natalie, I'm referring to the to the tulip, T-U-L-I-P, that's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Um, there are certain points in there we see of uh, 
Uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace are completely, completely, completely heretically false. Um, easily disproven by just using the Bible. You have to twist the Bible. You have to change the very meanings and definitions of words. And you have to teach the doctrines, the traditions of men to make, to make those kinds of things true. Uh, you have to completely destroy the faith to make those true. So, yeah. Um, but you see that unconditional election is completely false. It's not true. Limited atonement is blasphemous heresy. Irresistible grace is just nonsense because you can easily prove it by Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. It disproves irresistible grace. Um, but yeah. But we see total depravity. Uh, they've also corrupted that. Yes, all are depraved. We are completely lost and dead in sin. But they take it to such a point that you have no free will. That God saves you against your will. Uh, because you have completely no ability to come to the Lord as yourself anyways. Well, we see the Lord does come and enlightens the mind. And shows you, gives you a, a, a lot, the light of the taste of the glimpse of. Um, like in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. To show you. But then what do you do? What must I what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Um, it's then up to you to rather to choose to believe or not believe. How hard it is for them to renew them again uh, who reject. So you see. Anyways, um where are we? Verse 26. Alright, so they finished that up, and I I love the one thing here that we see about this this fellowship with the saints here that's awesome uh verse 26 and when they had sung in him when they had sung in him why why, why is that so special go to acts 2 42 hold your finger here and go over to acts chapter 2 verse 42 acts chapter 2 Verse 42. Uh, yeah. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This verse right here is one of the, the main banner verses of the entire Christian Coffee Time ministry. As, uh, this, because what it focuses on is the absolute beautiful simplicity of born-again salvation, of the born-again faith. It's so simple. As you continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, in the study of doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. It's so simple. It's just you gather at the table, you fellowship together, you discuss Jesus Christ, you break bread together, or have a cup of coffee, and in prayer. It's a simple praise, simple worship, simple faith of our of our simple faith it, by, by simply the Spirit of God. It's not through my maintenance of religiosity and traditions and rituals and things. It's just it's simple. You can have church literally anywhere. You gather together around a table with some with something to eat, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and just talk about Jesus Christ, you talk about the Word of God, your love of Christ, and you fellowship together, and you pray together, you sing together. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's not about the stained glass and the buildings and the traditions and the robes and everything else. It's about the simplicity. Simple faith by simple grace. God made it simple. And when they had sung in Him, and when they had sung in Him, Look how simple this is. All right, so when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. 
Verse 27. And Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Here we are. It's done. Now, what, what is not mentioned in the Gospel of Mark is what happened with Judas. Now, I like to point this out in some of the other Gospels where it actually discusses what happens. Uh, that when Jesus had uh, says, it's to whom I ever get, uh, uh, to whom I give the sop. And he takes the flatbread and the herbs and the sauce and he hands it to Judas. And Judas takes it and eats it and then gets up and walks out to go and betray Jesus. And it says the other disciples didn't know what he got up and left for. Uh, they thought perhaps to, to go do something. And then, But one preacher once explained it, you know, Jesus didn't stop him. Jesus did not stop Judas. But rather, Jesus sat there and he heard the clop, 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 clop of the sandals of Judas going down the steps, walking out, slam of the door. Saw him walking down the road. He didn't stop him. He didn't stop him. Judas went to betray Jesus Christ. He knew where they were going. He knew that after the Passover dinner, that they were going to go to the Mount of Olives. And, and so they, so Judas uh, left to betray the Lord, and Jesus and his disciples finished up here, and they headed over to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, you will be offended. Now, what does he mean by offended? You'll be driven away. You'll be driven away. Why? As it is written, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. As a prophecy. Because it was prophesied, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to go. Now, what what is this prophecy? That's Old Testament, Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. That's Zechariah 13, verse 7. Hundreds of years before Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus. Jesus, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I am risen, but that see, he doesn't just leave them in a in this heaviness, in this sad thing. Because you see, the Lord is also brings us the gospel of gladness. What is the gospel of gladness? I will rise again. After that, I am risen. After I am risen, when I come back. When I rise again, I will go before you into Galilee. Look forward to the hope. To look forward to the hope. That right now we see there is such a smiting upon the sheep. There is such a smiting upon the church. 
that we are under a heaviness and an oppression we are we are under the oppression of the world and the enemy uh, and, the, and there's so much betrayal and so many things going on uh, be, of the church being attacked christians being persecuted and martyred and imprisoned and, and all this but what do we look forward to we don't look at this yes we, we are under uh, under great offenses we are being scattered but what does the Lord try to help us to remember, to look forward to? He's coming again. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. I'm coming again. I'm coming again. So come, Lord Jesus. I will go before you. I am always with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I will come again. Now, remember when I said the, the theme of this chapter is stop focusing on self start focusing on christ don't focus on self focus on christ what did jesus literally just say what did he literally just say has jesus ever been wrong no has any of the things that jesus ever said been proven wrong in any way shape or form no any prophecy that jesus gave was it ever was it ever false no did jesus ever tell him an untruth or did he ever misunderstand something or has he ever 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 been wrong no jesus literally just said you will be offended because of me this night and you will be scattered you will all run away but worry not I will rise again, and when I'm come, I'll go before you in Galilee. That's where you can find me. Uh, he literally just said that. Peter says, although all shall be offended, yet not I. Yet I won't. I won't get offended. I won't run away. And Jesus says, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Then they all chime in and, Oh, none of us. No, we're not. No, we won't. No, we won't. No, we won't. But Jesus said you will. No, I'm not. Well, maybe others will. I'm not. Maybe others are sinners. I'm not. Maybe others have problems. I don't. Maybe this is meant for them, not for me. Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like... Thinking yourself better than others. Thinking thinking that you know the outcome. You know how it's going to turn out. You know where you're going to go. You think your faith is strong. Really? I will, I will not deny thee in any wise. There's nothing that can make me deny thee. Really? Uh, uh, a young a young girl asked you your name and you betrayed Jesus a, a young girl says oh you were with Jesus weren't you and then you got all 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 offended and all scared and started cursing and swearing and denying the Lord vehemently because a little girl asked if you were with Jesus oh nothing can make me deny you right okay you see boast not thyself 
You see, we're not to boast of ourselves, not to think highly of ourselves. For though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, then shall I bring thee down, says the Lord. Now, what's the point of this is stop looking at self. Start look, stop looking at yourself. Start looking at Jesus Christ. We are all one step away from falling apart. For every single person that there is, there are certain things that make us fall the easiest, that make us fall apart, that make us deny the Lord in some way, shape, or form, in thought, word, or action. That we get that the fear of man overcomes us more than the fear of God. It happens. It happens to everybody. Everyone goes through this. We all fall apart. But the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Peter says, I shall not be offended. I won't. I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Likewise also said they all. Now, I'm going to cheat here a little bit. Now, what I would like you to do, if, you're, if you are into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, uh, by verse 31, where it says, Likewise also said they all, Likewise also said they all, uh, underline, highlight, put a star by that, and then go over to verse 50. Look what it says in verse 50. And they all forsook him and fled. I will not deny thee in any wise, likewise also said they all. And they all forsook him and fled. Just one verse, one line, the Lord put in there. Why? As a, as a reminder, as a reminder, if you, you know, brag and boast about yourself, you think highly of yourself, the Lord will show you. The Lord will correct you. The Lord will reveal the truth. I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. You can even put in just in the margin. You could put in verse 50. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. Wait here. I'm going to go apart and pray a while. And those are people bringing the question. Well, if Jesus is God, why does he pray to the Father? Okay, the word prayer, to pray. Now, this is an old English word where if I want to have a conversation with you, I would say, I pray ye, I pray ye. That's invitation to conversation, holding discourse, holding a conversation with a person, and a, a, a close conversation. So Jesus is having a conversation, is talking with the Father. So some people really do not understand the meaning of pray to to pray uh, to go to pray uh, meaning of prayer. See so here, I, I, uh, well, I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John uh, with him. And he takes Peter, and James, and John apart with the, from the rest of the group over a bit further. And he began to be very sore and amazed and to be very heavy. Uh, a heavy oppression came upon him. And he said that my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Because the weight of what's coming is being pressed upon him. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. 
we, we see the aspect of what, what's coming. Now, of course, nobody wants to go through torture. Nobody wants to be tortured. Nobody wants to go through all the things that Jesus went through. I've talked about in great detail the actual beatings and everything that happened to Jesus in detail as the scriptures explain and what they did to him physically. The torture and the torment and the beatings and the just the gore and the violence and the hate and everything that went on that happened to him. He was so marred beyond any man you couldn't even recognize him. His bones are visible. His joints are put out. Nobody wants to go through all of that. Nobody wants to have to go through a torture and, and a crucifixion. But not my will, but thine. Because it needs to be done. It must be done. It has to be done. I said I would do it. I'm going to do it. I said I would come and atone for the sins of all the world. I will do it. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what they pour upon me. I will accomplish it. It will be accomplished. Then we hear the most beautiful words of the entire Bible. It is finished. He did it. He did it. No man takes my life from me. The devils tried. The, the Roman soldiers tried. They beat him and tortured him in ways that you can't even really talk about. Otherwise, YouTube would probably take down the video. They tortured him in ways just unimaginable. Anybody went through it? He went through it. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. Is what God wants, is God wants all people to be saved. God calls all men everywhere to repent. He is not willing that any should perish, but it, so he makes a way. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. The will of God is that all would be saved, all would be. He calls all, he draws all, he gives all a chance. Because he's not willing that any should perish. So we're going to actually cut this short. This is where we're going to pause. But I want to end this on one last point. God calls all men everywhere to repent. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to address the question, what about those that have never heard? All right, so please take your Bibles and turn with me to... Uh, where is it? Um... Second Peter three nine. I think I said first Peter three nine before, but I meant second Peter three nine. I go over to Second Peter chapter three verse nine. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Now look what it says. Look what it says. Not willing. What does that mean? Not willing that any what's the meaning of any not willing that any should perish that's the perishment uh, the perishing of condemnation not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance the will of god is that all will come to repentance any means anyone that's right not willing that any should perish but what about those that have never heard what about those that have never heard they don't exist. 
all are given a chance. Before I even show you this next passage, I'll prove it by even just what we read. If there are some that die having never been given a chance, God is willing that some should perish. For God, okay, listen very carefully. For God to not be willing that any should perish, he must then give everyone a chance. Even if that means I don't understand how he does it, he still does it in some way, shape, or form, even without my understanding. All because because I don't understand how he does it doesn't mean he doesn't. If that makes sense. So let's go over to Romans chapter 7. Let's go over to Romans chapter 7. I want to show you. Romans chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10. Romans 7 verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 7. Sorry, not Romans. What am I talking about? Revelation. I'm sorry. Revelation. I'm tired. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. Okay, so Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. A great multitude. Remember I said earlier about every single born-again Christian, every single person that's ever gotten saved, ever, will be there. Right? Look what it says. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. Now, I want you to please, please pull up your Bible. And look at these words. Look at what it says. There's no make a number of there's that word again that Calvinists hate all. What does that word mean? Uh all, not not a specific limited special select group of nations. But all nations <laughs> uh, all nations and kindreds and people and tongues do you know what that means do you know what that means of all nations kindreds people and tongues that means every single individual people group around the entire planet there are people saved out of every single individual tribe group culture nation kindred people group and language out of every single one of them even those that you don't see how god did god does because god is not willing that any should perish so he so he has to he has to he has to make a way for people everywhere to hear his gospel has gone into the whole world literally into every kindred tongue tribe nation group in the entire planet. 
And lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and people. It's, it's, those, those people out there say, well, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think so. You are literally denying what the Bible flat out says. So those that have never heard, don't exist. Because those that have never heard, that would mean God is willing some should perish. So that whole argument, that whole question is nonsensical because it contradicts the word of God. All nations and kindreds of people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, as the white robes of the saints, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. These are born-again Christians. These are people saved, standing before the Lord out of every single kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, people, group, culture around the entire planet. Or, depending on what you believe, entire planet. So it doesn't matter. The, po the point is the gospel has gone into the whole thing. Everyone has heard. It's gotten everywhere. Because God is not willing that any should perish. There you go. Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a moment. All those who come to me, I will know I is cast out. That's even people you don't agree with. <laughs> puff puff <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> all right so we're gonna pause it there that's that's part one that's part one but we see even in this even in this this account that that is heavy it's sad it's about the betrayal and it's about the the what's going to happen and we, we see what's happening and jesus is heavier but he sees he knows what's coming he knows that day of rejoicing. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, you can't imagine, but try to imagine the sound. The sound of the roar of victory of the saints. When we're there. When we're all there, it's all done. It's all over. And we're all standing there. And Jesus stands up before everybody. Oh, the roar of the saints. Of all people, of all tongues, of all tribes, of all nations, standing there, they roar. That's what we look forward to. We don't look at this world. We don't look at ourselves. We, we stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking at the world. We stop looking at the devils. We stop looking at the persecutions. We stop looking at the oppression. We stop looking at the heaviness. We, 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 st we start ignoring those things that contradict the righteousness of, of Christ. And we start looking at the beauty that of what Jesus says, I will come again and I will call thee to myself and we will go to that house that I prepare for you. We, we go there and we're going to be with the Lord forever. We win. Read the back of the book. We win. Of all tongues, of all tribes, of all nations, the blood of salvation, the blood of forgiveness, the blood of redemption, the spirit of God, which lives in the heart of every believer. This is a promise. This is the truth. This is the way it is. This is what the word of God says. God cannot lie. What it says is what it means. And all others that deny are wrong. Those that try to monkey with it are wrong. They're in danger. They better get themselves right with the Lord because the Lord is coming. Get yourself right with the Lord. Let today be the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For there is no other way, nor other truth, nor other life. This is what it says. God says. Other people's ideas and feelings and opinions say otherwise. Well, they're wrong. The Bible says this. 
What about those who never heard? Don't exist, because the Bible says this. What about what about these other doctrines of traditions of men? Irrelevant, because the Bible says this. We believe the Bible. We believe the Word of God. We sit around in fellowship, in the fellowship of the saints, and the joy of the Spirit of Christ, and we discuss the doctrines as was given by Jesus, not the doctrines as given by Augustine and Calvin and all the rest of them, but the doctrines as given by Jesus through the mouth of His apostles, as was penned in the paper by the servants of God, inspired by the Spirit of God. This is what we hold to. The Bible is my is my statement of faith, is my doctrinal statement. The Word of God is my absolute authority. What the Scriptures has said, for it is written. It's written by the hand of God. The Lord says, I've come to do a work. I will be betrayed. I will be tortured. I will be put to death. But I will rise again. I will rise again. And as Paul says, if Christ be not raised... We are of all men most miserable because we're still in our sins. Because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings me everlasting life. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings me everlasting life. Not just the death and shedding of blood. There must be a resurrection. As it says in Isaiah, his days were prolonged. He'll be resurrected. He will come back to life. He'll rise again. He's come to do a full work. And the full work is the shedding of blood, the death and resurrection. That's the full work. Not just the one or the other, but the whole thing. The resurrection, which is the hope of eternal life. He says, all those who believe in me will never die. And he proves it. He proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. He proves it by raising himself from the dead. I have power to lay down my own life and take it up again. That's what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. We look to the Lord and his word. We align, we align ourselves with his word what does he say it is written is all that matters it is written is all that matters what does this book say what are his promises what he says he will do where he sends we will go all hail king jesus so with that Again, I would like to invite you folks just to consider this. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, this has a twofold purpose of examining yourself to see, to make sure that you are born again saved. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be in the presence of God? Do you know for sure? Do you have doubts? Are you not sure? Do you, do you not have that assurance of faith? As 1 John 5.13 says that ye may know. If you're not sure, then make yourself assured. Let today be the day of salvation right where you are. Call upon the Lord and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell him you believe. Tell him you accept him as your God and Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins and save you. And he will. It's that simple. It's not by works, it's not by righteous works, not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, are ye saved. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the word of God says. God, who cannot lie, says this. He said you're saved by grace, which is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited, meaning I didn't merit it, I don't deserve it, it's not a reward. 
I didn't earn it, but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. By faith, which is believing trust. Faith is not works. I'm saved because I believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be. You are. You know you are because you have believed on the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith by belief alone. Which Jesus are you believing in? A Jesus that needs your works, needs your righteous work, needs your water baptism, needs your fruit bearing, needs you to do this, not do this. A Jesus that needs you to maintain, to keep, earn, to gain. That's a false Christ. The true Lord God, Jesus Christ, doesn't need any of these things. He just, he just needs you to believe. I know I'm saved because I have believed. 1 John 5, 13, that ye may know that you have eternal life because you have believed. So look at this. What are you trusting in for your salvation? What are you trusting in? Well, that, 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 I, that, that I don't do this. I don't fall into this. That I, I don't, I, I, I don't uh, stop doing this. I got to keep this because I did, because I said a prayer, because I go to church, because I do this. I, I don't know if I'm saved because I don't do a lot of good things. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? When he when he left his father? No. When he left his father and went off into the world? No. When he went out to the world and, and riotous living and drunkenness and harlots? No. When he ended up in the pen with the pigs doing that which is forbidden? No. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? Didn't? Right. But rather, what do we see? We see conviction coming upon him. All those who dwell with the Spirit of Christ will be convicted by the Spirit of Christ. Convicted of sin, convicted of righteousness. And then we'll see, he will draw, he will call. And the prodigal son realized his error, realized his wrong. And he repented himself and he got up and returned. When, when was he forgiven? When he apologized? And when he returned? We see the father waiting for his son, watching, longing for his son to return. And then he sees his son returning from way off. And he runs and embraces his son. Embraces him in the mud and the manure. He hadn't changed his clothes yet. And the father embraces him in all the mud and the manure. And embraces him and kisses him. Puts on him a clean robe and the ring on his finger and throws the party because the son returned. Then the son repents. We see the return. It doesn't matter how, what you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter how much mud, how much manure. It doesn't matter. It will come back to the Lord. Get yourself right with the Lord. Fall on your face before the Lord. Like Mary, wash his feet with your tears. Wash his feet with your tears. Pour out your heart before God. Ask him to forgive you. He does. He will. All those who come to me, I will know why cast out. If we would confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse. He cleanses. I don't cleanse myself. I'm not the one that takes off the mud and the manure. I'm not the one that cleanses me. I can't cleanse myself. He cleanses. The Father is the one that took off the muddy robe. He cleanses my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 
If as it says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our Lord, our God, the, the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful, the Counselor, who's standing on that road longing for us to come back to him, to walk with him in newness of life. Run to him. Run to Jesus. Run, flee from the sin, flee from fornication, flee from drunkenness, flee from the sin and lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Flee and run into the arms of Christ and ask him to forgive you, forgive you for straying, forgive you for wandering. Call him your Lord God, my Father, Abba, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry. And what does he say? I forgive you. I forgive you. Come on, let's get going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Well, how many times do I have to go through this? As many times as needed. As many times as you stray. When does the father reject, resist, cast out his children? He doesn't. Not one. He doesn't cast away a single one of his sheep. But even the one that strays, he goes and he finds it and brings it back. He never rejects a single one of his children. He will never take one of his children, no matter what you've done, he will never take a single one of his children out of his hand, strip them of his name, strip them of the blood of Christ, strip them of the Spirit of God, and cast them into the fires of hell. Not one. He doesn't do that. A monster does that, not God. A demon does that, not God. Because it's his blood, his work, his body, his righteousness, his salvation of his word. That's what he says. We're his sheep. We're his sheep. We are his children. When do the children of God cease to be the children of God? They don't. Even when they're disobedient, all, all those who are disobedient, what does it say? Whom the Lord loves, he chastises. The Lord chastises those whom he loves. That's, that's loving parental discipline and correction. This is what the word of God says. My salvation is not hinged upon me doing, maintaining, keeping, or whatever. The, I don't maintain my sanctification. I don't maintain my sanctification. Because as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus Christ is our sanctification. As it says, all those who believe in him are sanctified. He is my sanctification. He is my justification. He is my consecration. He is my salvation. He is my redemption. I am sanctified because I have the Son of God. I am sanctified. I am held. I am justified because I have believed. And I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against the day. What have I committed to him? My soul. I've given to him my soul, my faith, my belief, my heart, my trust. And he holds it in his hand and nothing can pluck it out. No man can pluck, can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. No matter how stupid you are. No matter what you do. I am with you always. Even into the end of the world. Or the way I like to say it. I'm with you always. Even when you're stupid. Because we are sanctified. Because we are justified. Because he is God. He is Jesus Christ. The name above all names. And it doesn't matter what I do. No matter how much I mess up. No matter how much I sin. No matter what I do. Lord forgive me. And he says I forgive you. All those who come to me. I will no wise cast out. It's a promise of God. It's a promise. 
God cannot lie. He said, and it is, it is written. There are those out there that, that, that preach doubt and fear and unbelief, that preach that your salvation is hinged upon you maintaining your sanctification, that if you don't keep fruit, if you don't maintain fruit, if you don't show fruit, if you don't do this, you don't do that, then you're not saved. That's a different gospel of a different Christ and false doctrines of devils. God says, I don't need your works. I don't. Your neighbor does. I don't need your works. Your neighbor does. You don't maintain sanctification with me because you can't. You can't maintain your sanctification. You can't. That's the whole point. Because it's all of him. His blood, his body of the new covenant, not mine. It's his blood, his, his body of the new covenant, not mine. Think about that. Everything that entails. It's his body, his blood of the covenant. And it's a covenant. It is not a contract. It is not a contract that's bound by two people. You both have to keep it or it falls apart. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's the promise of God, not a plea bargain deal. It's the promise of God by grace, not works, not righteous works. It's of Jesus Christ and his righteousness because I have none. Think about it. Who are you doubting in your salvation? Him or yourself? I doubt myself. Good. Because we aren't able. That's why it's by grace. Because I can't do it. I can't keep it. I can't maintain it. It's not of me. It's all of him. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God above all gods, the name above all names, at whose name every knee will bow. We bow at his name like Mary. We bow at his feet. Other people will mock and scoff and, and scream and bite and bicker and spit and name call and deride in every way, shape, and form. The goats, the wolves, the rats will say all kinds of other things while we're kneeling at the feet of Jesus, just crying on his feet because that's all we can do. Because that's all that we can do. As Jesus says, this is all that she could do. Because it's all that we can do. Is we come to him and anoint him as Lord and God. And believe on him. And he says, your sins are forgiven thee. Because that's also something that Jesus said to her. Her sins, which were many, are forgiven. What did she have to do to earn that? Believe and worship. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven. She believed, she worshipped, she wept, she was forgiven. That's it. It's all that she could do. It's all that we can do. Your salvation is not hinged upon your doing or not doing, but rather upon your believing or not believing. All those that have believed, there's, there's no condemnation. They are saved in, in the Spirit of God. But those that have not believed are condemned already. So what must I do? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be. That's a present tense affirmative. Not, not meaning shall be like down the road sometime. No, no, it's an immediate. That the moment you believe, your sins are washed away. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. And there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
The moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away by the Spirit of God, the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, and your name is written down in glory. You're indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. The moment you believe, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, your sins are forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ, and you hear the rustling of the robes of God while he reaches over with his pen, with his holy pen, and writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And all of heaven just explodes. All of heaven just explodes. And it is everlasting. And it cannot be taken away. It cannot be lost. It cannot be recanted. That's what the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. He came to do a work. Some believe, some don't. Some follow, some betray. Some love, some mock. We were told that's how it would be. We were told that there would be a great falling away. We were told all these things would happen. We were told how we would be oppressed and hated and persecuted and, and suffer tribulation, all these things. But what does the Lord say? Watch and pray. Watch for what? I'm coming again. I'm coming again when I come again. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and they will put him to death. But I will rise again. I will rise again. You will have to suffer all the things of this world, but I will come again. He's coming to get us. Even the day of our death, the hand of Jesus Christ reaches down and pulls us up to him. Or he comes in the clouds and we'll see that glory. Uh, the Son of Man in the clouds. And we will hear this trumpet. And we'll go to be with him. He's coming again. It's the promise. Look forward to the hope. To the hope of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we look for. Mark 14, part one. All right, so there we go. So we're going to split that there. So that's part one. So I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. So if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon. So you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies there. And as well, if you want more study regarding eternal security, once saved, always saved, everlasting assurance, all of that, check out our playlist, once saved, always saved. We have a whole playlist of tons and tons and tons and tons of studies on that, proving that as an absolute biblical doctrine. Please make sure you check those out. And if you have any questions, please make sure to contact us, which you can directly through our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We've got links to all our other platforms and goodies, and we have the contact us link. You shoot us an email there and a bunch of stuff there, as well as our free downloadable gospel track PDFs. So please make sure you check that out. All right. So if there's anything else, please let us know and we'll wrap this up. I know up here was somewhere was a question make sure i didn't miss anything else okay lindsay has a, has a thing here i pray for my sister sarah who is actively denying jesus and swayed by the enemy's deception so everybody please keep uh, lindsay's sister sarah in your prayers for that and let's see go down through okay he is the bread of life amen amen and uh, for natalie as well if everybody could be praying for natalie here for for comfort and blessing uh for the peace and, and uh calmness of mind as well by the spirit of god pray for her and we have a question here by natalie uh, um
Okay, so Natalie has a question. Okay, so I don't trust anyone because of infiltration. I want to find others at a church, but it's hard. It's so hard right now. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a problem. Uh, we're starting to see it actually more and more. It's actually something that's becoming more and more blatant is the absolute corruption of churchianity. <laughs> I put it that way. Churchianity. Uh, there's so much corruption there. It's very hard to find a good church to go to that's not corrupted by doctrine or corrupted some other way. So what do we do when we can't find one? Well, and so what do you think? I don't know what to do. I need fellowship. Me on my own isn't working. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is not fear and worry about it. Worry not, doubt not, care not, fret not, fear not, be anxious for nothing. So we got to learn to put off our own fears. So this is something that the Lord wants us to work on as well as learn to trust in him with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he'll direct our paths so that the Lord will make a way. Now, there's a couple ways to go about this. There's a couple options. One is, well, how far are you willing to travel? Think about that one. If we can't find one in our town, well, what about the next town? How far are you willing to go for fellowship? Um, the other is, well, if there isn't feasibly one around that you can get to, uh, are there other born-again Christians around that you could gather together once a week or twice a week or whatever, even for Bible studies? What is church? The gathering of the saints together unto Christ, discussing Christ, worship of Christ, praise of Christ, and when they had sung in him. So study of the Bible and the praise of Christ, worship of the Lord, the fellowship of the saints, that's church. So you could do it where two or three are gathered together there am I in the midst. And so you just even seek out some other born-again Christians uh, of like faith and gather with them. Have a, have a mini Bible study. Have a time of worship. Sing songs and praise and pray together and, and read the word together. That's that's church. You don't have to actually get to an official church building and sit in a pew. to. You can have church in your house with a couple saints. Have a Bible study, a weekly Bible study kind of thing even. You can do that. Um, and if that isn't even possible, well, that's where here Christian coffee time is a fill-in. Now we gather together at, to study the Lord and fellowship together. That's why also I do this live. So you have a live chat so you all can talk together. Y'all. Man, I sound like I'm from the South. Where y'all can, can gather together and chat and fellowship and encourage each other. That's what it's for. Also, everyone here. Um, that's... This this is a form a form of church. Well, this isn't actual physical church, but gathering together to worship the Lord. This is as simple as it gets. Um, sometimes we try to overcomplicate it. What are we looking for? Well, it would be nice to have that tangible physical gathering, but sometimes it's just not possible, and so we just have to give it to the Lord until He makes a way. I can't start doubting and fearing and worrying and stressing about it because that's that's not trusting in the Lord. That's not believing that the Lord is able. So whether he does or whether he doesn't, that's up to the hand of God. And I have to trust him for what he says. Maybe the Lord has for me, just not right now. Maybe he's bringing something else down the road or maybe he's going to move you or something else. He'll make a way. 
but to trust that he will make a way. That, that even if he doesn't, that what I have is sufficient. Now I'm, I, uh, but I have learned in all things to be content. So there's some ideas. How far are you willing to travel? What about other Christians in your area? And learn to just wait upon the Lord. Okay. Let's go down through. Down through the comments. Natalie says, guys, I struggle with alcohol, so please pray for me that I let things go. I'll tell you what, the first step in repentance is to get rid of it. These things that are a power over you, that are a power and addiction that hold you in their power. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, go and go throw those things out. Dump it all. Just dump it. Get rid of the addiction. Get rid of these things that are a power. Have nothing to do with it. And then fast and pray and give yourself to the Lord to overcome the, the power of these things and the addiction of these things. The Lord will help you. As it says in his word that, uh, that uh, there is no power but of God and we are not to be held under the power of any. So give that to the Lord and go fast and pray. Give yourself in time of fasting and prayer for uh, for a while, even a couple days if need be. Give yourself over to the Lord in that and ask the Lord to forgive you of these things. Repent and trust in the Lord and he will help you. He will help you. It doesn't mean that these temptations will never come again. They, they, they may, they will. But, but to learn to fight against him, to resist the devil, and he will flee. To resist the power of addiction and, and empowerment under other things like that. So make sure to give it to the Lord as it needs to be. Okay. Going down through the comments. Oh, comments jumped. I don't know why it does that. Okay. Going down through the comments here. Kimberly says, please pray for my two sons they, that they will accept Jesus as their Savior. So everybody here, please remember to keep Kimberly and her uh, family uh, in prayer that her two sons will be saved. Uh, Glory to God says, can you pray that my church will continue to use me to help and speak? New believer. Hey, praise the Lord. So everybody be praying for here for this one. Uh, their user is glory to God. Be praying for this one that the Lord will use them and their church. Going down through. Glory to God says, how long to fast and pray to overcome? There's no time limit. It, it's as long as it takes. The, the Lord will put it on your heart. Uh, that, uh, to just give it over to the Lord and he will guide you in this. Um, now, prayer, prayer and fasting, there are different forms of fasting. Fasting doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like, cold turkey no food at all anything there's different kinds you can fast from entertainment you can fast from junk food you can fast from coffee you can fast from food you can fast from whatever and even in fasting there's even uh limiting the amount so it's not just none but even just a little bit just for long term kind of thing uh there's uh the liquid fast where no solid foods but just like water juice milk kind of thing and there's just water there's just juice so it's just whatever the Lord puts it on your heart, you give it that to the Lord and you hold that for a set time to, for the Lord to help you to overcome and for the Lord to teach you, strengthen you, strengthen your faith. That's just what it is. So there's, there's no set time limit. It's as long as the Lord puts it on your heart. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Fancy says, Lord God delivered me from chronic pain and taking medication as well as smoking cigarettes. You can do it. I'll be praying for you. Yeah, so you see, it is possible that these things that are, that are holding us captive, uh, addictions and empowerments by other things, again, we're not to be held under the power of any. That's the key. Things that are a power over us, that control us. Nothing should control us but the Lord and his word. And other things that are trying to empower us and control us and, and we have no strength over it, let go of those things. We need to learn to get rid of those things. Whether it be addiction to even social media, coffee, whatever, cigarettes, whatever it be, food, gluttony. You know, think about it. We've got to learn to give all things to the Lord. So there's some things to think about. And again, be praying for each other, hold each other in prayer, and remember this, as well as check out all our other playlists. we got tons and tons of other content. We have uh, videos and playlists on all kinds of other topics of doctrines, theologies, and uh, Christian activities and things like even prayer and fasting. So uh, on our homepage of, of our YouTube channel homepage, you'll see the bar at the top, that little bar at the search. You could type in, you know, prayer and fasting, whatever else, and it'll bring up videos on our channel of what there is so please make sure you check that out and so um if you need help finding anything contact us let us know what you're looking for we'll send it to you so don't worry about that all right so we're going to wrap that up there so thank you so much for joining in god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless Thank you.